With everything changing so fast, it's easy for a conservative to turn into a cranky old stick in the mud who's forever saying things like, get off my lawn, or hey, stop taking all my rights and freedoms away, or if you steal my Trump for president sign again, I'll rip your heart out with my bare hands and feed it to your children for supper. No one likes a fuddy-duddy, so we here at The Andrew Claven Show occasionally like to try to help you get hep to the jive with some timely hints on how to live in our confusing modern world. Today, we'll deal with pronouns. In the old days, pronouns were easy. Men were men and women were women, and you could tell which were which by the fact that men had facial hair and said things like, hey, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? And women had bodies that made you forget your last name and said things like, I'm leaving you to go live with Jane, my women's history professor. Maybe that was just the women I knew. Anyway, in those old days, using pronouns was simple. If you were talking about a man, you simply used he and him, as in, if he comes home and asks what's for dinner one more time, I'm going to leave him for my women's history professor. And if you were talking about a woman, you used she or her, as in, she took all my money and went off to live with her. You may be able to come up with sample sentences that are more suitable to your own personal situations. But today, men are no longer men, and women are no longer women, but frequently vice versa. And so you may find yourself at a loss as to how to describe people when they're in the third person, or whatever other sexual activities you may get up to. It's not my place to judge. So let's turn to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender resource website, where they deal with these issues, because I guess they have nothing better to do. If you are referring to a man who identifies as a woman, you might want to use the gender-neutral pronoun Z, as in the sentence, wow, Z is one strange-looking woman, isn't Z? If that's what Z thinks a woman is, I think Z may be kidding Z-self. <laughs> if, on the other hand, you are dealing with a woman who identifies, <laughs> sorry, as a man, <laughs> you know, you might, this may be the end of this routine. <laughs> if on the other hand, you are dealing with a woman who identifies as a man, you might want to use the pronouns A and M as in the sentence. <laughs> um, a, a, look, that guy has breasts. I is strangely attracted to him. <laughs> Finally, if you are talking to someone directly and you can't tell what gender they are, back away slowly while using the pronoun V. As in the sentence, by <laughs> or V in the girls' locker room, I will call the police on V and they will take you away with them. I hope this brings... I hope this brief guide will help you. How could it help but help you? Will help you come to terms with a new, beautiful, rainbow-colored world full of diversity and psychopaths. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this, I'm ashamed to say, is the Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. 
Okay, now let's go live. Oh wait, that was, <laughs> that was live. All right. Now that we now that we've gotten through that humiliating experience, it's the mailbag day. Hooray! So your questions will all be answered. Guaranteed. The answers are guaranteed. One hundred percent correct. Ninety-eight point seven percent guaranteed to change your life for the better. But you can't be on it unless you subscribe. Oh, oh there's my sound. Everything's going on. Uh, you can't be on it unless you subscribe. Then you get to ask questions. If you subscribe for a year. Uh, it's eight lousy bucks a month, and you get if you subscribe for a year, you get Ben Shapiro's new novel, uh, True Alliance, which is uh, I've read it and is massively entertaining. And I should mention, good news, uh, my own memoir, um, <laughs> The Great Good Thing: A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, is on sale on eBooks. They got a deal for it; it's just two ninety nine on eBooks, so you can go on Amazon and get it for your Kindle for only two ninety nine, which is excellent. Other good news, the New York Times reported a 95.7% fall in quarterly profits. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess it turns out that lying is not a good business model. Uh, speaking of which, new WikiLeaks emails, this is great, WikiLeaks emails come out. And the in, at the time, this is from 2015, email from tw March 2015, incoming Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta hears about the New York Times has published a story that Hillary Clinton may have had a private server. And he says, we're going to have to dump all those emails, so better to do it sooner than later. <laughs> okay, so that's John Podesta. So the Huffington Post now comes out and says, not, this is not just the Huffington Post, the Washington Post says, you know, John Podesta sent an email to venerable Clinton aide Cheryl Mills in which he counseled we we're going to have to dump all those emails, so better to do it sooner than later. The emails to which Podesta refers are, of course, those that were stored on then-Democratic presidential contender Clinton's private email center. But what to make of the instructions to dump them? Does Podesta mean that the email should be dumped in some sort of landfill for emails? <laughs> Perhaps after loading the emails into an email wheelbarrow? Hmm, it's a real thinker. But the answer is no. Podesta wanted those emails disclosed. He wanted them to be released because, because that's how the Clintons operate. This is the Huffington Post. Washington Post said the same thing. Here's Charles Krauthammer's response. If you want to release emails, there is a word for that. It's called release. He didn't use the word release. He used the word dump. Dump means you're, you're releasing something, but you're doing it in a way that it will disappear. Now, it, it seems to me quite obvious what's going on here. The instinctive reaction of the campaign, again, reflecting the candidate herself, is to dump, is to hide, is to cover. That's been the way the Clintons have operated for 30 years, and that's what they ended up doing. They ended up segregating 30,000 emails and then destroying them so that, as Trey Gowdy said, even God can't read them now. <laughs> so, so this, this is they're dumping the emails. I mean, when, 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 when in the history of Hillary Clinton's life did she ever disclose anything? I mean, she lies about the weather. You know, she lies about anything. So the polls are going nuts now. Just six days. This is off our own site, The Daily Wire, James Barrett. With just six days left until Americans go to the polls, Hillary Clinton's once commanding national lead has collapsed to less than two points. Once hopelessly behind in the electoral count, Donald Trump has now surged within striking distance, real clear politics, state poll averages puts the electoral content contest at 273 to 265 in favor of Clinton, which obviously you need 270 to win. So she's still ahead, but by virtually nothing and is still in play. Why is it? 
It's because you're a man. It's because you're a man and you don't like women. That's why. Here's Barack Obama. It comes right from the president. Hey, I just want to say to the guys out there, I want to be honest. You know, there's a reason why we haven't had a woman president before. And I think that sometimes, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to get over the hump. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves as men, because I hope my daughters are going to be able to achieve anything they want to achieve. And I, I, and I know that, that my wife is not just my equal, but my superior. That I want us, I, I, I want every man out there who's voting to, to kind of look inside yourself and ask yourself, well, how, if, you're, if you're having problems with this stuff, how much of it is, you know, that we're just not used to it? So that, you know, like, like you know, when, when a guy's ambitious and out in the public arena and working hard, well, that's okay. But, but when a woman suddenly does it, suddenly you're all like, well, why is she doing that? So if his wife is his superior, why is he president? Just yeah. just asking for a friend, you know. I mean, so, so okay. So this is let's just stop for a minute. This is what Donald Trump is talking about. Let's hear what Trump is talking about yesterday on the campaign trail. Insurers are leaving, premiums are soaring, doctors are quitting, companies are fleeing, and deductibles go through the roof. Workers' hours are being cut. Hiring is frozen, totally frozen and wages are being slashed. Obamacare means higher prices, fewer choices, and lower quality. Yet Hillary Clinton wants to expand Obamacare and make it even more expensive. She wants to put the government totally in charge of health care in America. If we don't repeal and replace Obamacare, we will destroy American health care forever. It's one of the single most important reasons why we must win on November 8th. We must win. So this is yesterday when the signups for Obamacare started and people are looking at these premiums that are smacking them like a Mack truck, just as evil conservatives said. Now remember, conservatives are virtually right about everything. When, when conservatives tell you that, because they're pessimists and things go wrong, you know, when, when conservatives tell you that something's not going to work, it almost always doesn't work, and Obamacare is just textbook failing. So that's what Trump is talking about. He's talking about jobs. He's talking about this. Here's what Hillary had yesterday. Here's who introduced Hillary. It was Alicia Machado, former Miss Universe. I was such a guest, an honor to represent my country, Venezuela. And to be Miss Universe 1996. But I was, I was only 18 years old, a little girl with 18 years old. And there was still so much I didn't know. Trump was overwhelming. I was scared of him. He made fun of me, and I didn't know how to respond. He told me that I looked ugly and I was massive. He even called me names. He said to me, Miss Piggy, Miss Housekeeping, Miss Eating Machine. 
soon, soon it became a joke. Alicia Machado was the fat Miss Universe. So this is what they're talking We're talking about Alicia Machado on the Clinton campaign trail. Now, she says she was scared of Trump. Remember, this is a woman who was accused of driving the getaway car while her boyfriend went to kill a judge in Venezuela, went to try attempt to murder a judge. This is an AP story. This is not, I'm not making this up. She was accused of of uh, dri- you know driving the getaway car while her boyfriend went in plotted to kill a judge. I don't think the murder came off. So how scared could she have been? You know, <laughs> how scared of Trump could she have been? All right. So in case you don't get the point now, this is what Hillary's talking about. She's talking about the same thing. Well, I learned way back in elementary school, and I I learned it in Sunday school. You know, it's not okay to insult people. It's not okay. And look at what he does. He calls women ugly disgusting, nasty, all the time. He calls women pigs, rates bodies on a scale from one to 10. We just heard from Alicia. She was Miss Universe. When Donald Trump owned the pageant. Well, he said she put on some weight and it made him angry, so he called her Miss Piggy called her Miss Housekeeping because she's a beautiful Latina. He brought a bunch of reporters to a gym to watch him order her around to exercise. Now, you know, he also said this is somebody who likes to eat. Well, I have to say, who doesn't like to eat? We got, we got a lot more coming, but I got to say goodbye to the people on Facebook and YouTube because they haven't subscribed. If they had subscribed, they could be at The Daily Wire and watch the whole thing. But you can still come to The Daily Wire and listen to the whole thing. So do that because the mailbag is coming up and we are going to answer everything. <clears throat> you know what's amazing about this is she's attacking Trump for things. First of all, she says... Trump rates women's bodies on a scale of one to ten. Isn't that how you become Miss Universe? I mean, you, <laughs> isn't that exactly? Like, you know, you show up in a bathing suit and the guys hold up a sign. Yeah, we'll give you yeah, sorry. So I, I, that's not so bad. But no, it has nothing to do with the fact that that Trump is a bore. He is a bore. But that's all they've got. I mean, this is a guy who worked in construction in New York, the dirtiest business. I mean, it is run by the mob, and that's what they've got. That he was mean to Miss Universe. They haven't got anything. I mean, where? is it? The New York Times is running front page stories about how he legally paid as little taxes as he could. You know, raise your hand if you legally pay more taxes than you have to. You know, I mean, this is, it's amazing. I mean, Trump must be the most honest man in America. You know, I mean, if I, if I were in construction in New York, I'd be like a mobster. You know, I'd be, yeah, kill that guy. Ah, he's getting in my way. He's my competitor. I mean, they don't have any bodies. That, you know, today they published a picture of him standing next to a mob guy. We know he knew mob guys. I mean, he, you have to know mob guys to do anything, to build anything in New York. And that's all they've got. It's amazing. And then, and, and they're talking about bullying, you know, and then, and then she goes nuts because a, 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 I mean, I know women, I'm sorry, but I know some women fall for this stuff. And then somebody shows up and starts screaming that Clinton's a rapist and she goes nuts. She loses it. I get sometimes a little overwhelmed by the fact that I love this country. I think we already are great. Now I think we can be greater. And you know, 
I am sick and tired of the negative, dark, divisive, dangerous vision and behavior of people who support Donald Trump. It is time for us to say no. We are not going backwards. We're going forward into a brighter future. All right. Now let's let's address this because I, Trump is a bully. I've called him a bully. You know, he, the way he treated uh, Rubio, the way he treated the candidates during the primaries was, was bullying and it was unattractive, unappealing. I don't like it. I don't think that's what our president should be. But let's talk about bullying for a minute. First of all, where is all the violence coming from? You know, talking about having nothing on Trump, they have to go out and find some dopey Trump supporter who says, ah, there's going to be a revolution if we lose. You know, you can find that in any crowd of 50,000 people, which is like what his crowds are at this point. You can find that guy. There are all kinds of nutcases who follow people around, no question about it. But let's just think about what the, where the violence is coming from, whose signs are being stolen off lawns, whose cars are being keyed. You know, here in Hollywood, someone defaced Trump, you know, there's that Hollywood Walk of Fame where people get stars, and Trump had a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Somebody defaced it. So a homeless woman went out to defend this, and a, a bunch of thugs attacked her, a, a homeless woman, because she was supporting Trump. Here's a little video of this. It's on. It's yeah, absurd. Down. That's what I'm talking about. Get your out of here. That's what I'm talking They knocked it down. I mean, you know, this is a homeless woman. This is Nazi stuff. I wouldn't play that because I realize it's emotional stuff. I wouldn't play it if it weren't happening all over the place. I mean, this is happening all over, always justified on college campuses. Hey, you know, when YouTube, when YouTube restricts Dennis Prager videos, that's bullying. That is bullying, you know? There's a guy with a, a, a Latino guy in, in uh, Florida who has a little shop, and it, the media used to love this shop because it showed the diversity of the neighborhood. He put up a Trump sign. This is in the Wall Street Journal this morning. He put up a Trump sign on his lawn. They went on Facebook, and they start just ripping him. His food is bad. There's cockroaches, you know, lying about his, his shop, you know, which can drive a guy out of business. It can really it can really hurt his business because he supports Trump. All the violence is coming from the, the left, all of it. I mean, just a, a handful of it. And we already know that they try to inspire violence on the right. We know that from the Project Veritas videos. And we know that they go out there and say, yeah, we can find some crazy guy who will attack us and we can incite violence and then accuse them of violence. You know, I understand. I understand that women do get bullied. I understand they respond to the kind of guy that Trump is negatively as well they should in their personal lives, no question about it. I'm just saying that this is all bullying. This whole thing about men is all bullying. You know, bullying, you know, they are, they are, there's a, a, a good website called College Fix, which talks about all the crazy left-wing stuff is going, is, that's going on in college campuses. And today they write, universities across the nation are taking steps to actively purge male students of what's being labeled toxic masculinity. Examples abound of campuses hosting training sessions, group meetings, lectures, and other programs to effectively cleanse what many campus leaders and left-leaning scholars contend is an unhealthy masculinity in young men today. Here is from the University of North Carolina. They put out a, a male training video, right? Here is their attack on, on men. 
The reason men should fight for gender equality is because it's the right thing to do. Gender inequality is based upon a system of privilege that lifts men up at the expense of women. Male privilege, patriarchy, the language of dominance, rape culture, pornography, machismo. Economically, socially. Living in a patriarchy is pretty sh for all parties involved. Men really need to start learning about their place in systems of inequality. Especially white, straight guys like me. On college campuses, do you have 18-year-olds proving their masculinity to 19-year-olds. They're young men, and sometimes young men make bad decisions. The DNA collected from the rape kit did not match any of the lacrosse players. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help empower the people in our community. And you can't really accomplish that if there is a form of inequality, be it racial, sexual, and in this case, gender. And the reason women can't have it all is because men do. There it is. There it is. That's the big lie. The big lie of the left is you can't have it if somebody else has it. The big lie of the left is there's only so much money to go around. You don't create wealth. There's just this big pot of wealth that somehow magically appeared, and we just divvy it up. And if I have more of it, then you have less of it. If, if men are succeeding, women must fail. Therefore, men have to fail. They have to be less. This is the... This is all bullying. Everything the left does is bullying. You know, I, I'll try and play this later on uh, about what socialism is. That socialism is always force. It's always done by force. It's always bullying. Everything they believe is bullying. So get ready if Hillary Clinton wins for four years, maybe eight years of all bullying all the time. Trump may be a personal bully. I, I think he is. I really find his, his manner unappealing. But just all, all I'm saying is that you only see it on one side. You can see what Trump is because everybody in the press, everybody in show business, everybody on college campuses is talking about it. But Hillary Clinton is the forerunner, is the representative of a bullying philosophy, a philosophy that is all bullying right down to the ground, all the way down. All right. The mailbag. Woohoo! Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a mailbag without Lindsay. That's, a, that's all we should, we should just bring her back to do that. You know, once, yeah. once a week, she, we should fly her in. All right. There's a lot of uh, talk about this, about college campuses. Uh, here is one from John C. Dear Minister of Propaganda and Intellectual Development, Clavin. I, I love it when they use my, my many titles. I have many titles. Um, you mentioned deconstructionism in yesterday's show. As a grad student, I had to read Derrida for a literary theory class. My sympathies. I have read Derrida, and uh, it's, it take, took weeks, I think, for my brain to recongeal. Despite my best attempts and those of my gender-neutral UC Berkeley-trained professor, I never understood how why literary theory was applied by academics to anthropology, feminist studies, linguistics, and other subjects in the humanities. Can you explain how deconstructionism has shaped our cultural and academic Landscape, yes. Uh, deconstructionism is the idea that you deconstruct uh, objects of art, uh, assumptions, uh, philosophies, religions. You deconstruct to get at the power centers, uh, the way that power is being expressed uh, in those works of art. So instead of saying, well, Shakespeare wrote this play in order to express something that he was experiencing and communicate something to you uh, that he, he was experiencing in the time or in his vision of the world, Instead of doing that, you deconstruct it to find the power centers. Now, if you think about it for a minute, this and this comes from Nietzsche. We talked about him yesterday. He said you should look for the genealogy of morals. That was kind of the beginning of this deconstructionism, that, uh, that the, the beginning of what became deconstructionism. In other words, you don't have morals. Since, since God is dead, Nietzsche said, since God is dead, there can't be absolute morals. That much is true. And since the morals can't be absolute, why do we have them? It must be to, to give one person power over another person. And this is the way they teach 
literature, which is like something I know about, so I'll talk about that. They'll, they'll say to you, you know, uh, for instance, Jane Austen uh, writes a love story about the, the way women and men interact. She was a, a genius, a great writer, Jane Austen. Um, and I know men don't like her because of the movies and the bonnets and the carriages and all that stuff. But if you read her book, she's a very nasty, <laughs> insightful, brilliant writer. She really is. And, and, and uh, Edward Said, for instance, said, well, yes, but you have to understand that everything she's saying is based on colonialism and imperialism. And you have to see that what she's really doing is supporting this imperial worldview where the British get to take over all the smaller people on the, in the world. The problem with this, if you think about it for a minute, is it is doing what the left always does. It's silencing the voice of the person who's speaking and replacing it with your philosophy. Because of course, you're going to talk about what you think, where you think the power centers are. For instance, you think men have more power than women. That is a very, very dubious assertion. You know, there always used to be a saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. A submissive woman conquers her husband. You know, that commands her husband, I believe is the, is the phrase. So a submissive woman commands her husband. Women have never been short of power in the, in the West, although they have been short of political power at times and financial power. There have been injustices although some of those grew up out of an attempt to protect women, but never mind. You know, let's, let's say that some things have to move into the modern world and change. That's different than essentially saying that Shakespeare can't speak. Only I can tell you what Shakespeare meant. This, think about this for a minute. Shakespeare speaks and he talks in this archaic language. It's hard to understand Shakespeare now. So you have a professor who learns that archaic language, learns what Shakespeare's talking about, learns what the influences are, and he comes in and he teaches you those things. That's how I was taught Shakespeare. He would say, well, you know, there, there was a platonic thought that was going around at the time and that's what Shakespeare was reacting to and that's why he wrote this speech this way. And now I understand what's in Shakespeare's mind. But if the professor comes on and says, I'm deconstructing this to show you where the power centers in women, uh, you know, uh, de denying women power and giving privilege to men are, he's just imposing his voice. He's drowning out Shakespeare's voice with his voice. And that's why they do it. That is why they do it. Shakespeare invented much of what you think. If, if, it may not be fair to say that he invented your humanity, but he invented, he recorded an idea of humanity that he saw coming into being at the start of our civilization. Our civilization as it is now starts with the Reformation. I think that is a fair thing to say. It starts with the Catholic Church losing its monopoly on right and wrong and this diversity coming into the world, which had problems and also had you know good things about it. I'm not, I'm not judging it, I'm just saying that's where the modern world begins. And Shakespeare was such a great genius that he could see into the future and think and see what you were going to be talking about today, and it's in his plays. Let me just give you one example of something. You know, people are always saying that Shakespeare is a secular writer. It's just not true. I, I think Shakespeare was a Catholic, but even so, his entire worldview is shaped by Christianity. He has Richard III, great play. He has Richard III come out and say, you know, <clears throat> Richard III is deformed. He has a humpback. He has a limp. His hand is all shriveled up. And he says, you know, the wars are over now. The War of the Roses are over. Now we have peace. And when, in peace, men turn to love. They, you know, that's, there's the two activities of men are war and love. And as a lover, I can't make it because I'm so ugly. I'm so deformed. This is the, the big speech he makes. And he says, so I am determined to prove a villain. I am determined to be a villain. I don't, I, I'm not, you know, a scholar who knows everything, so maybe you could find uh, an anomalous example that, uh, you know, that is against this. 
I can't think in classical literature of a character who says that. I know the good and bad, but I choose to be a villain. I'm determined to be a villain. That is a Christian idea. And in the play, Richard III plays out that idea and how it raises Richard III to the throne and how it destroys him within even as he is rising to the throne. Those are ideas that we all hold. Those are the ideas of that moral law within I was talking about yesterday that Dostoevsky talks about. That's what Shakespeare is saying. That's what he's trying to create. It, it, it is totally fair and justifiable to ask, what is Shakespeare saying? He's creating you. He is showing you from a mirror 400 years ago. He's showing you this mirror of what you are going to become and why, why you're going to become those, those things. What kind of, I mean, think of the psychology in that. I can't, I can't be a sexual character, therefore I will be an evil character. That's like before Freud, before this uh, emphasis on sexuality, he's kind of tracing a lot of that psychology. To silence him, to silence him, is to deny with your stupid theory of power centers and what you think is, is this and that, which you're perfectly welcome to, but to silence Shakespeare is to deny you the sources of your beliefs. It's to deny you the sources of your personality. That how, that what, what Shakespeare is preserving is he's preserving the culture that made you. He is preserving the culture that made you and showing you how it works. To deny that to you is to leave you ignorant and to leave you helpless so that when somebody comes and destroys that culture and deconstructs that culture, you have no way to argue back. You have no way to say, yes, but you're missing this point. Because it's easy. You know, what they do is they, everything they do is negative. They call it critical theory. But it's negative. They say, well, you know, George Washington held slaves. George Washington did hold slaves. Shame on him. But he also created liberty. What have you done? What has this professor done? That guy who was talking before, that egghead who was telling you that, you know, men are no good and men have everything so women can't have everything. What has he done? What has he done? What would happen if I followed him around? If I looked at his emails? What would happen to that? Because we're all immersed in corruption and sin, and it's easy to be negative about a society. The measure of a society is not its flaws, because all society have flaws. All society are societies oppress, all societies do corrupt things, all societies commit violence. But what other society has made men free? What other society has made men free all over the world? And why did it make men free? And what did it believe that led them to live and die and fight for freedom? All those things are embedded in our literature. I think I've used up my mailbag time on that uh, question. So we'll come back tomorrow. I'll save some of these questions, but send in more and send them in again. And we'll, we'll, you'll have another shot of them. All right. Stuff I like to end the day. I, since I knew that the mailbag uh, always goes long, I brought something in really short. You know, we were talking. There's been this absolute movement to try and justify Bob Dylan's winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. And I don't want to pick on Bob Dylan because I think he is a good songwriter. But I think that poetry is something different than songwriting. And I think poetry is literature. And I think songs aren't. That's that's all. And I think what the left loves to do, and it's really not just the left, it's also my generation. It's the generation of baby boomers who want to think that if something happened to them, it must be profound. If something happened to them, it must be good. You know, it's if some if they like something, it must be great. There's a difference between greatness and real quality and something you happen to like or something that affected you in your youth or something you know that that you enjoyed. Nothing against Bob Dylan. I really think he's a good songwriter. Let me just read you a very very simple poem that sort of shows you. Uh, what poetry is, because Robert Frost was one of the great American poets, a truly great, who never won the Nobel Prize, I don't think. I think he won a bunch of Pulitzer Prizes, but I don't think Robert Frost ever won the Nobel Prize. Truly great poet who wrote really, really simple poetry. And the thing about the, 
about poetry that's different than songwriting. Songwriting is words set to music. In a sense, poetry is music set to words because the words themselves embody the sound and the sound delivers meaning in, in ways that no song ever can do. Here is a poem by Robert Frost that I love. It may be like eight lines. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll be back again tomorrow.